Go with me, please, to John 17. So often, uh, I have people almost every single day of my life who either walk up to me and personally tell me or send me a card or a text message that says, Preacher, or Brother Christian, or CP, I am praying for you. And I got to tell you that when I hear that, you will never know the joy and the encouragement and the fortitude that it brings to my spirit. And I do not take that lightly. I don't take it for granted. I realize that when people pray for you, when they tell you, hey, I'm praying for you, uh, I take them at their word and trust that that's exactly what they're doing. And when someone intercedes for you and prays for you, that's a very, very special thing. It's a holy thing. It's a precious thing. But our text tonight reveals to us somebody who made a promise to us that they were going to pray for us. In fact, they did pray for us. And it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so I want you to look with me in verse 9 uh, here in the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus said, uh, I pray for them. He's speaking, obviously, to his heavenly Father. And he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And then in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. And then down in verse 20, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone. In other words, Father, I'm not praying just for these disciples. Uh, I'm not praying just for the ones right here immediately. But he says, I pray also for them which shall believe on me through their word. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's not simply just talking about uh, the converts of the disciples. But when you think about uh, how did we get the gospel? Well, we got the gospel, obviously, from the work of the apostles. <laughs> so we are the fruit of the ministry and witness of the apostles. And so Jesus here in verse 20 is, or 21 is saying that he is praying for us as well. He says, I pray uh, for them, uh, uh, verse 20, uh, verse 21, that they all may be one. Here's what Jesus is praying for. That they would be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, there it is again, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Uh, many refer here in John 17 to this prayer as the true Lord's Prayer, or as what we would say the high priestly prayer or the intercessory prayer of Jesus. And here in this chapter, in the text, we have 
Jesus talking directly to, praying, uh, prayerfully entreating God the Father, not only on the behalf of the disciples, but also on the behalf of every follower of Jesus from that moment on in history. That means that when Jesus appealed to the Father on the behalf of his followers, hear me, he was praying, Jesus was praying for you. And tonight I want to tell you, and here's the title, Jesus prays for you. Not just for Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, Thomas, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and Simon, but for every single believer, Jesus prayed for them. In Hebrews 3 verse 11, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest, that means the intercessor, the go-between of our profession, Christ Jesus, Hebrews 4.14. We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Hebrews 7.25, Jesus, our high priest, ever liveth, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And in the text, I want you to know, church, there are two main things that Jesus prays for as He prays for us in this high priestly prayer. Now, we're only going to focus on one of those this evening, and we'll finish the message next Sunday night, so you tune in to both. But I want you to notice, first of all, Jesus prays for our unity. Our unity. I want you to really lean in and listen, and uh, let's keep your Bible open there. We're going to see this together. He says in verse 11, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Unity uh, refers to our relationship as believers with one another. Did you realize that you and I have a relationship not just with God the Father, but with one another? And the truth of the matter is we have a spiritual bond and spiritual relationship with every single believer, whether we know them or not, whether we've ever met them or not, whether we know them by name or not. The one perfect bond of unity that we all share is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because of Him, we are partakers and joined with one another in the same family. If you are saved, you are a partaker, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 26, and 27, listen to the word of the Lord. Paul is writing and said that there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, you treat one another with the same care and the same love and the same heart. Don't be partial. You be impartial. Let there be no division, no schism in the body. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer. When one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Now ye are the body of Christ together 
and then you are separate members in particular. In other words, all of you are joined together as the body of Christ, but everybody has distinct jobs and gifts and responsibilities and roles to fulfill. Remember Proverbs 6, 19, where the Bible says, God hates the sowing of discord among brethren. Psalm 133:11. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brothers, brethren, or sisters to dwell together in unity. Well, that passage talks about that it, it's, it's sweet, it's like a sweet aroma in the eyes of God, in the nostrils of God. Uh, he, he, he uses the word there, how pleasant. Uh, it, 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 it carries the idea of uh, uh, looking at a, a field uh, of, of, of crops that are growing uh, like a cornfield, and everything is just sort of symmetrical. It's green, it's lush, it looks like it's supposed to look. And that's exactly the word picture that the Holy Spirit chose to use in Psalm 133, verse 1. That unity is beautiful. Unity looks good to the Father. Unity brings a pleasant aroma into the nostrils of God. But you and I both know that disunity, discord, disharmony, it doesn't bring pleasure to the heart of the Father. It brings grief and frustration and it hurts him. Notice with me some things about this unity that Jesus prayed for on our behalf. Verses 11 and 21, we learn that this unity is to resemble and reflect the unity of the Trinity. Verse 11 says, Father, I pray that they would be one even as we are. Verse 21, he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I am in thee, Jesus said. So this unity that we are to have that Jesus is praying for is to resemble and reflect the unity that the Trinity experiences. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have to be honest with you. That's heavy because there is no division at all. There's no angst. There's no... Uh, uh, battle. There's no discord. There's no rivalry in the Trinity. All the members of the Godhead, all the members of the Trinity are in perfect union. And that's how Jesus wants us. He prays for that. that you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ would not be divided. We wouldn't be at odds even though we have personality differences, we have preferential differences, we have all kinds of differences. We're not identical. Jesus didn't make us clones. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we lose our individual identities. No, that's not what it means. But it means we have a harmony and a sweetness and a love and a mutual respect and treatment and kindness and an understanding of one another. Adam Clark said that the union which Christ recommends here and prays for here is so complete and glorious as to be fitly represented by the union which exists between the Father and the Son. Wow. 
So we see that this unity that Jesus prays for is to resemble and reflect the unity of the Trinity. But then, this unity that he prays for is not always evident, and it must be maintained. Now, this is interesting to me. When Jesus said that they may be one, it literally, and this will help you because it, 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 at least I hope it will, it helps my understanding. It's in the present active tense, which may not mean a lot to some, but what it literally means, Jesus literally was praying this, Father, uh, he, he, he wasn't saying, Father, help them to become one. No, no, he was praying Help them, Lord, that they may keep on being one. It's a continuous action uh, that, that, that is always to continue, that, that, that it's something that was not just a one-time thing, but was to be maintained and ongoing. This is obviously something that's not automatic. If it were automatic, gang, Jesus would not even have to be praying for this. Because it would just naturally happen. No, no, no. It's not automatic. And it's got to be maintained. If it's going to be continuous, it has to be maintained by you and I. Prayed for, supplied, produced by the unity of the Holy Spirit. And the Yes. But it's something that has to be ongoing. A.T. Robertson said, The disciples had union, but they lacked unity or oneness of spirit as was shown this very evening at the supper. You say, what do you mean? Were they at odds at one another? Well, listen to what your Bible says in Luke twenty two twenty four. And there was also a strife among the disciples on who was going to be accounted the greatest in the kingdom. They, they were each reaching for a throne and fighting for a throne. And Jesus said, that's not what I want for you, fellas. I don't want you to be at odds and animosity. I want you to be one. I want you to be in harmony. That has to be maintained. It's not always evident. It's not always evident in the church. It's not always evident in our conversation. Let me ask you a question. In the last seven days, have you had a conversation about somebody to somebody else that this third person could question the unity that you experience with the person you mentioned? Well, that's convicting. Ephesians 4, 2 and, 3, 2 and 3 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The word endeavoring means to make an effort. For us, to make an effort by the empowerment of God to keep the unity, to guard the unity, to prevent from escape the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the oneness of the Holy Spirit. He mentions the word bond here. That, that, that word means something that is joined or tied together. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, you and I may disagree on all kinds of things, but as believers in Christ, you and I are distinctly linked and tied and bound together. This unity has to be maintained. This unity is to reflect the unity that the Trinity has. And then let me give you this thought here from the text. Look at verse 21. 
Father, that they also may be one in us. Now why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus said, Father, I pray that my disciples and all those who would get saved because of the witness of the disciples, that they would experience that unity because that unity is a powerful testimony to a lost world of the love of the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, gang, the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't comprehend that kind of love or that kind of relationship. How can a group of people so diverse so different, be harmonious and loving and unified and bound together with such a strong common commitment and a body of belief? How's that possible? Brother, everywhere you look in our world and society today, we see nothing but disunion and disharmony and division. Man, we've never been as divided as we are now. Don't you know? Deep down, this broken, messed up, busted up world is looking for that kind of unity and harmony and peace. We're not going to find it anywhere else. And that's why Jesus said, listen, church, listen, my followers. This idea of there always being strife and conflict, division, all that breaks my heart and it's antithetical to the gospel and to my mission in this world. One writer said, beyond a doubt, strife, wrangling, divisions are a stumbling block to the outside world. One writer called it the work of the Holy Spirit drawing believers to each other as members of one family, prompting them to a loving cooperation for the good of the world. That means that we recognize the difference between biblical convictions and clearly revealed principles and personal preferences. Discern what is negotiable and what is non-negotiable. And I'm afraid that far too long, some of us have, have treated as non-negotiable things that are negotiable. We've lost sight of what is most important and what is least important, and we've allowed those lines to blur. May God help us. This unity serves as a powerful witness and testimony to this lost, broken world. And so that night, most likely on the way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays for you. And He prays that you and I would experience the unity that the Trinity experiences. He prayed that you and I would manifest and maintain in an ongoing sense that unity. And then He prays that that unity would be so favorable and so anointed by the Father that it would be evident and obvious as a testimony to this world and draw individuals to Him. That's appealing to lost people.
Are we manifesting that kind of unity at Faith Church? Are you manifesting that even among your own family members? You know, sometimes we question or wonder how come so-and-so, my neighbor won't come to church or my coworker won't come with me on Easter or why this or why that or why my family members don't want to step one foot on 1200 West Grantham Street. Can I ask a question, gang? Could it be that we've been sour with our words about our church, about some people in the church? Could it be that our kids, our family members, our grandkids especially, our co-workers, neighbors, strangers, whoever it is, they've overheard conversations. Could it be they don't want to have anything to do with this place because of what they've heard out of us? May God help us. Uh, I, I know of a conversation that took place among one was a former church member here and one was a current church member uh, in Walmart one time uh, and a total stranger who knew me and knew us uh, they overheard them in line at Walmart, busting, I mean, running us down here at our church. And the gentleman stopped them and said, listen, you don't know me, but I know that church. And what you're doing is wrong. Here you are running down and criticizing your church. Out here in public in Walmart of all places. God help us, gang. I'm afraid that happens too much. I'm afraid we run others down, we run each other down, and we are negative and critical of one another. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I believe the Holy Spirit of God, that's reprehensible to Him. It's hurtful to Him. And I know this, He's going to be a trillion miles away from any place. He's not going to manifest Himself where that kind of disunity is going on. Oh, no, sir. And that's why I want to be careful. I want to be led by Him. I want to make sure that I manifest this unity. So you stay tuned next week. We're going to talk about that second thing that Jesus prayed for. May God help us. Our Father, You are so good. And I pray that You would anoint us and help us as we continue to dive deep in Your Word. And give us strength to live this out this week. In the mighty name of Christ we pray. Amen.